Two Week Notice Podcast. The drugs began to pick. A smile of joy arrives in me. Yo, yo, what up, everyone? You are listening to the Two Week Notice Podcast. My name is Dana B. I'm your host. Thank you so much for listening. Come on. Now, here's the deal, baby. All right? If you can hear an echo behind me, that is because I am not in the Two Week Notice Podcast studio. All right? I am up at my ski condo in New Hampshire, kid. So just bear with me for a couple minutes, and we'll get right into it. Here's the deal. Today on the podcast, we have Shane Told. Now, Shane is the man. Well, he's been on my list for a while, and I just knew that he and I were going to get along well. And sure enough, we did. Uh, We have similar personalities. So if you like this podcast and you don't know about Shane's podcast, you must go check it out because we've had a few crossover guests. I mean, basically, he just interviews lead singers in the scene, and he's done over 300 episodes. He just hit like 303 or something. So trust me, you'll find something you like, okay? What else we got going on, people? We have one sponsor before we get to this conversation. That is Plug Your Holes, all right? So www.plugyourholes.com is your one-stop shop for gauges, plugs, tunnels, and more. So if you get piercings and you need that shit, this is where you want to go. www.plugyourholes.com. And for a 15% discount, okay, at the checkout, you want to type in the code TWNPOD. That's TWN. P-O-D, smush it all together, six letters, no spaces. T-W-N pod, and that's www.plugyourholes.com. Aside from that, listen, if this is your first time checking out the two-week notice podcast, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And if this is your vibe, make sure to hit subscribe so that you do not miss a single episode in the future. I got Cyrus from Newfound Glory coming on. I got Max Bemis coming on and many more exciting guests. All right, and make sure you check that backlog because I've had some killer guests in the past. Don't forget to check out Lead Singer Syndrome, that's Shane's podcast, and Silverstein fans, listen up. Today's Tuesday, the 22nd of February. Well, in just two days. Thursday, the 24th of February, they're announcing some very exciting stuff. New music, all sorts of shit. So check that out. Shane, thank you so much, brother. Enjoy. Today on the podcast, we have singer of Silverstein and also the host of the amazing podcast, Lead Singer Syndrome, Shane Told. What's up, Shane? Hey, uh, you know, not too much. Just enjoying a little Monday, which is pretty much the same as every day, except I get more emails. That's that's about it, you know, for some reason. It's the worst. It's people catching up from over the weekend, right? Exactly. Like, it's the music industry. It just, it never sleeps anyways. But for some reason, Mondays, I like... Like, what day is it again? Oh, I can just tell by my email. It's Monday. (laughs) That's interesting. I never thought of that. But I think that's more than just the music industry because I could say the same for any any field I've been in. You're right. Yep. 
It's a thing. It's a thing. You know what I think it is? I think that's people's admin day. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, a lot of times people, you know, they've ha- had these like thoughts over the weekend of like, oh yeah, this is like a good idea. And then Monday they they wake up, they get the coffee maker going, and then they're just like typing away on their getting everything uh, going for the week. So I think it's fine. Um, I just I'm a bit of a slacker, generally speaking, so I I like to to do as little as possible. Just how I roll. So, <laughs> but also I was in the corporate world for a while. And I was allowed to take, you know, pre-COVID, I was allowed to take an office day and not go to work. Oh. And I always did that either on a Friday or a Monday because sure. it would give me an extended weekend where I didn't have to actually physically go to work. And that's yeah. when I, I would get my emails done that, that day too. But I don't know, just a thought. Good. But Good. anyway, so can we, I'd like to open up talking about the When We Were Young Festival, if that's cool with you. Yeah. 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 What a fucking lineup, man. It's, uh, yeah, it was a hell of a. Uh, a hell of a morning i'll tell you when we found out about it it's um such a funny story you know we got this because a lot of people were asking me like is this legit is this a scam are you guys really playing like all this stuff you know and there was a lot of uh confusion i think because we got asked to play a while back i think it was hmm, maybe like september august like warm it was warm out it was summertime and all all the email said was do you want to play a festival in las vegas called when we were young opening for my chemical romance and this amount of money on this day that's all we knew we didn't know the other bands we didn't know how big it was or anything so you know we were available we said sure like i love las vegas my sister lives there so i'm there all the time so we said sure okay we'll do it it's a one-off easy and forgot about it I completely forgot about it until we got an email saying, oh, by the way, this is getting announced in 30 minutes. Here's the poster. And it was like, what is this poster? And then you looked at the bands and you're like, what? They got everybody to play this thing. And then, of course, the Internet it just exploded and everyone's asking me what's going on. And it's like, I don't know. All I know is, yes, like we're playing. We have a contract. You know, it's legitimate. But of course, yeah, everyone's wondering, like, how are they going to put 64 bands in one day? And then, of course, then it got to, to be two days and three days and, and everything else, which is it's all insane. But it's it's cool because just to see that this many people still care about a lot of bands that peaked <laughs> 15 years ago is uh, I think it's pretty special. You know, it's really special. And, and what a lineup, man. I mean, so let me ask you this. It's kind of a two part question. Who are you? most excited to see and also who do you who you were excited to run into maybe an old friend you haven't seen in 15 yeah. years you know yeah you for know. sure for sure i mean so many of the bands you know that are kind of inactive we used to play with the band that comes to mind first for me is armor for sleep some of my like really early friends you know i remember back in 2003 uh, i think their first album had just come out or was coming out and we had a copy of it in the van and we used to listen to it just like over and over again and then we met them you know uh, ben and everybody at at furnace fest in 2003 and uh you know they became just really good friends and we toured with them numerous times over the the next few years and then they unfortunately kind of faded away broke up so for a band like that now is they did some reunion shows last year and I've always been a big champion of, of Ben's work and, and um, Ben's writing. And I, I can't wait to hang out with all those guys. And I mean, you just look down the list. There's just, 
like so many bands that we have had, you know, a lot of great times with that it's going to be cool to not only, and it's, it's going to be great that it's three days now, right. And a week between, I don't know if everyone's just going to be hanging out in Vegas, if there's going to be people playing other shows or like what's going to happen, but um, it's going to be a really, really epic three days and, and week of, of uh, fucking nostalgia and fun and, and uh, just excitement, you know? Yeah, man. Armor for sleep is great. And I was wondering the same thing myself is like, are people just going to stay a week in between? And also maybe you're not sure, but like, I was wondering what the radius clause is. Like maybe you're not allowed to play sideshows or like how far, you know, what, what the limitations are with that. Any idea? Yeah. I, I can't recall. I mean, I know we can't play in Las Vegas, obviously, but yeah. Could we play a show in, I don't know, Arizona or California? I believe so. Maybe I shouldn't speak of that. But there's, there's nothing planned. We don't have anything booked yet. And, and people have to remember we're still like eight months away from this thing or whatever it is. So, um, you know, we don't have to decide right this minute, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if some bands are banding together to, to do something cool, you know, little mini, mini shows here and there, uh, you know, in the Southwestern United States, you know? Yeah. I think there's going to be some, some exciting things happening. Yeah. Just like, whatever the radius clause is like around that circle, there's gotta be, cause you don't want to just, especially for maybe a band like Armor for Sleep, perfect example. Like you don't want that to just be the first time they get on stage in front of 80,000 people or whatever it is. Right. <laughs> you want to do some warm up shows on the way. Sure. You know, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I have no doubt in my mind there'll, there'll be some bands probably driving from like Armor for Sleep's from New Jersey. Although Ben lives in California. So maybe, maybe that, that bad example, but some bands will, will have to drive across the country to get to Vegas, they'll probably be doing something on the way. And then, I don't know, between the weeks, like, are you going to fly home and then fly back? Or are you going to stick around in, in Vegas for a week? I don't, I don't know what bands are planning on doing. So logistically, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how it's all pulled off. But, you know, this is a legitimate promoter in a legitimate venue in, you know, a city that has done everything entertainment. I know it's going to be, they're going to pull it off, you know? Yeah, yeah, just to to squash any of the the shit talkers. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely, for sure. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I had uh, Mike from All American Rejects on here, like right after. Yeah, Mike's. I love Mike. Yeah, I haven't seen him in a long time, man. What a, what a great guy. Yeah, he is. He really is, and uh, he was just like, yeah, listen, it's it's gonna happen. Like like, take it. Easy. But they were part of that rumor. I don't know if you saw. It, it was like a a double screenshot of like one band. I don't even. I don't know who they are, but. They were like, we didn't even know where you're playing, apparently. Huh. And then Mike tweeted from the All American Rejects thing, like, apparently we're playing with all the bands. And someone took that as, oh, they didn't know they were playing either. And oh yeah, I took it as the same way Mike meant it. And what you said, oh, I, we just didn't know we were playing with, like, like you said, only Mike Hem was all you knew. Yeah, you just didn't know. The, That's right. The, right. So well, that's you know how, right. You know how people are. You know. And yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, I think. That was probably a little bit of strategy to that for the festival. So they didn't have to um, have 64 bands battling it out for who's being billed where, which is a nightmare. And they just like put together like, I don't, I don't think they consulted anybody on anything. Like they're using our old ass logo that we would have, you know, never approved, for example. And like, you know, shit like that. But it's fine. Like, you know, uh, I think they did a pretty good job, all things considered, of where they kind of put everything. And in the end, it doesn't matter because every band that isn't a part of this thing wishes they were, you know? So it's um, it's it's a very special thing. And 
yeah, I think I heard about a couple bands that didn't didn't know didn't know they were playing hand quotes, um, but then it was like they just straight up forgot or like their management didn't tell them, you know, like if your management, if your management didn't tell you you're playing a festival with my chemical romance, like you might need to check on that. <laughs> you know? Exactly. It is not the festival's fault or live nation or whoever. It, exactly. That is interesting though. The, I didn't, I never even thought of that. Like the, maybe they took the logo that you wouldn't have necessarily used yourself or something like that. But, right. Yeah. Yeah. But all in all, it's, that happens, you know? it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not the end of the world and all in all, it's going to be an epic festival for sure. And it sure to, is. to your point, I wish Pivot was playing. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit of a disconnect. I feel with some of the, you know, I'll call them the forefathers of emo um, for lack of a better term, like, I would love to see them go after someone like the promise ring or mineral or, you know, uh, knapsack or like some of the, the bands from that era. Because for me, that's like Midwest emo is like, what was my shit, right? They kind of have taken it to the next generation, you know? Um, and they're kind of starting there with, you know, the, the bands that, that we are peers with. And that's cool. You know, I understand that that was when it made the big splash in terms of mainstream with my chem and Paramore and all that. But I, I, Personally, from a fan point, I would love to have seen some of those older bands from just kind of the previous generation on this thing. But I mean, I guess that's why we have other festivals like Furnace Fest, which are amazing festivals too, you know? Yeah, man. So speaking of Furnace Fest, did you say you played like one of the older ones back in the day? We did. We played 03, which was the last one they did until last year. So it was, uh, oh, wow. It's, I'll tell you, man, that was a hell of a, a festival too, because we were such a new band. Our first album had just come out. We had never toured down there before. So we were going down from Canada pretty much just to play this festival and then try to do a couple other shows. So, you know, it's in Alabama for people that don't know. It's kind of random. We've never played Alabama since before or since, by the way, only played Alabama once and it was Oh three at furnace fest. So we did that. And then we went down to Florida for the very first time, you know, on that same little run of shows. But, you know, we're in our van with the heat permanently stuck on, you know, no air conditioning. It's miserable, like in in the summer. And, uh, you know, we we roll up there and I don't even know if we had a table. I think we had to borrow one for the merch. And we're using our bench van bench seats for, for, you know, to sit on while we sell merch. So a really funny thing happened. So we're playing Furnace Fest and they do all the merch underneath this like kind of highway overpass. I don't know. So it's covered, you know, so the sun isn't shining on there. Um, but in 03, it rained, like like poured rain, like really, really, really hard. So, you know, you'd think, okay, you're covered under this highway overpass. Like, you know, it's fine. The merch isn't going to get soaked. Well, it was very leaky. So pretty much the entire merch area was like flooded and everyone had to like clear out their stuff except for our table. We were like, it was like, we were the last, um, the last like shrimp boat left in Forrest Gump. If you know that, like (laughs) (laughs) we we were like the last one. So everyone's coming over to our table to like, I don't know what's your band called. Who cares? You know, I'll buy a shirt. And we sold out of our merch, which actually like we needed to do to get home for, you know, to pay for gas to get home because we were, you know, such a small band, but you know, I have great memories of, of that festival and, meeting yeah like armor for sleep and 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 berlin was another band we met that day for the first time 
became became pals with them and it's uh it was really cool when they brought that festival back and sadly we we uh, we weren't able to play because it's like it's probably for me personally like my musical taste it's 100% like the sh- my shit you know dude that's a hilarious story and an amazing story but <laughs> yeah piebald uh we we played it uh it was the end of September so i guess like mm-hmm. four, 5 6 months ago whatever and yeah now i will say I had all these aspirations because like you just said, if I could come up with a festival myself, that lineup was pretty fucking close to like exactly what I personally would do. But I was like, I had major FOMO because I do Piebald's merch and I could could hear like, I didn't anticipate being behind the merch table, you know, from 10 a.m. to whatever, 8 p.m. And, but I was being stubborn because like, you know, Travis or whoever would come over and check on me. They're like, oh, you need anything? And I'd be like, no, I'm good. Maybe a beer, whatever. But then, like, <laughs> but looking back, I'm like, man, I did like get coverage for a couple of sets. But the whole time, I don't know, I was worrying about what was going on at the merch table. It's probably a control thing on my yeah. part, you know. But man, yep. what a lineup! And it was cool to be a really small part of it. I'm excited that they're they're keeping it going. Oh yeah, it did great. I think that there are still people that really care about that music, and you know, the fan base. We've gotten older. And maybe we can afford to find a flight to Alabama once a year and, you know, and, and let loose a little bit. And that's, that's what you're starting to see, right. With uh, these nostalgia plays. And the other thing we're doing is the emo's not dead cruise in November as well. So that's like, that's sold out immediately, which I was, I knew it was a great lineup and, and it's really fun, but for it to be like a, an hour and all the cabins are gone is pretty cool. Just that that many people are excited and I guess financially able to to uh, to to come along on it. So it's um it's really cool just what's happening with um yeah just just with with this kind of music and, and how excited people still are about it and that it's that it is not trend like something like hair metal where like <laughs> nobody nobody ended up actually liking it in at the end of the day right it was like uh like i don't know how many tickets rat sells now but you know probably not too many like maybe in uh they do okay in milwaukee or i don't know something like that but i i, I don't know <laughs> no you made a couple good points in there for one I think you're right. Whereas people have like money now, we're all turning into like these adults with careers and stuff. So like, for example, Pieball, dude, when I say I was stuck behind that merch table from 10 a.m. to like 8 p.m. at Furnace Fest, I had a line the entire fucking time. And I I've never sold that much merch in a day. And we ran yeah. out of almost everything to the point where I had to turn people away because, you know, it's like I have nothing in extra large. Like Barrier Dead was right next to us. And I was supposed to help sell their merch, too. I was so busy that I couldn't even try to right. do that. And right. then, and so the line went past their table and like to an- another table. And it got to a point where I was losing my voice saying, we don't have anything in extra large. I was yelling down the line, like nothing in extra large, nothing in extra large. And then sure enough, somebody would come up, you this in extra large. I'd be like, no, nothing in extra large. What about this? Nothing. <laughs> but it was really cool to see like people are prepared to spend the money and and speaking of like like FOMO like that emo's not dead cruise again for selfish reasons just like the when we were young festival if there's one thing that I really really want to do is that like I love cruises yeah I'm like a Norwegian platinum member like oh I, there you go okay. I'm all about I'm gonna find a way on that fucking boat I don't know how but I will I will find I, a way on that boat it is a Norwegian boat I know. Actually, I forget which the name of it. You probably know, but uh, yeah, no, I yeah, I haven't been on a cruise in a long time. I went with like when I was a kid, a couple with my parents and stuff, and then I actually went on one um, 
not that long ago. Well, it was maybe 15 years ago, but what is time? Which was, it was actually a pretty cool cruise. We went from L.A. all the way to Hawaii and went to all the Hawaiian Islands, which was pretty cool because that's not something that you get to do really, you know, um, that often. Like people say, oh, I go to Hawaii, but like, okay, you went to Waikiki, you know, and that's it. Like I got to go to the Big Island and, and all that shit. So that was, that was a cool cruise. But I, I think uh, we've never done a band one before. So I think this is going to be really fun. So I'm excited. Dude, it is going to be one of the best times of your life. I guarantee it. Okay. Like, what a lineup. So for me with cruises, I did like a couple before 2019. And then I went on, I went to Europe, but instead of flying there, I took a Norwegian ship from Brooklyn to Rome, Italy. Wow. That, that was like a two week thing. It was like 3000 bucks, dude. 14 days. That included a balcony room food and booze it was called a repositioning cruise so like yes yes their their norwegian jade it was gonna go to italy anyway because for the next few months it was gonna just keep lapping the greek islands in order for them to maximize profit you can take a one-way cruise i was like that sounds way more fun than flying to dublin or something but i enjoyed my time so much i ended up going on that same boat to do like a greek island thing i did a cruise up in like um the baltic sea and i did a i did a bunch of cruises as well as up there and that's sick yeah my parents my parents did one of those to Australia ones. So all the way, they went all the way to Australia, which is like psycho. It was like took forever. It's a lot of days at sea, but um, hey, there's lots to do. You know, if you want to relax and fucking eat some food, there you go, right? Just get the drink package and have a good time. <laughs> That's what I hey, do. Cheers to that, my friend. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> right on. All right, Shane. Well, let's let's rewind if you don't mind. Mm. And I would love to talk. First yeah. of all, you're from Canada. I think maybe you're the third Canadian I've had on here. So I've had Connor oh, okay. from Boys Night Out. Ah, oh, nice, man. I've yeah, had Andrew cool. from Comeback Kid. Nice. And I love, I love, love, love yeah, them both. Yeah, man. I love, uh, so I think you're the third, and I love all three of these bands. So, uh, cool. and, and you and Connor are from like the same town. Is that right? Yeah, yeah we are. Um, yeah, Connor, Connor, Goose, and I, we're, we're about the same age, too. I think, I think Goose, that's Andrew, I think we're the same age and Connor's maybe like two years older than me. So growing up, you know, I'm from city of Oakville, uh, or town of Oakville, I guess, a uh, suburb of uh, Toronto and Connor's from Burlington, one town over. But, you know, him being a couple years older than me, he was in all the cool bands. He was in this band, punk band called Gym Class Joke. They were the kind of like the most popular band in the scene. He played drums actually in that band. It's like a skate punk band. And then he was in this other hardcore band called The Day Had Died. And they were, he was a singer for that band. He's in this emo band called um, Gang of Five Robots. So he was a real scenester and a guy I really looked up to. Later on, he was in a pet, the, this band, The Pettit Project, which my old punk band used to be kind of like buddy, buddy, like best friends with. And we played a lot of shows together. So, you know, when, when Boys Night Out started to take off and everything, you know, there was no surprise that Connor was, was you know, just, just, he's just such a great front man and he's such a great lyricist you know, and storyteller. He was, he was actually locally, I'd say a big influence of mine. And I was, I felt really lucky to call him a friend, but the thing that people don't know, he actually played drums in Silverstein uh, for one day. (laughs) I forget exactly how it worked, but we'd started the band. We had a drummer, but he wasn't really working out. So um, I asked Connor if, if he was interested in it. I remember I picked him up at the time, Connor didn't drive. I picked him up and we went to practice and he had, I remember he brought his two drumsticks with him and they were different drumsticks. <laughs> like they weren't even a matching pair. One of them had like green paint on it. I was like, okay. 
and he came in and he and he played with us and we you know he learned like we only probably only had at that time like maybe four or five songs like we hadn't recorded anything yet and he played and you know he he was great he was great but then i think after that he kind of i think he kind of just was like look like i i this would be fun but I'm in like four other bands, which is just going to end up dragging you guys down. Like you guys are going to start playing shows and it's going to be, you know, when you're a local band, there's only so many Friday and Saturday nights in a month when, when you're in four or five bands that are all pretty good and playing shows. So ultimately we ended up getting Paul, our drummer now, but it's, it's just a weird little thing that to think about that Connor was, yeah, he was a member of Silverstein, even if it was just for one day. That's amazing. I, I never yeah. knew that story, but I love that guy, man. He's, he's just, I don't know, just such a great guy. He's so funny, and he's a good example. Every once in a while, you know, it's been really cool to do this podcast, and if anything, I've definitely networked with a lot of people, and every once in a while, there's someone who I stay in touch with on, on like, a somewhat regular basis, and Connor is an example. Like, he's, we text here and there and stuff, and just, what a great story. Yeah, awesome. no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think, I think the thing about Canada and uh, the Toronto area or the, the we call it the 905 scene like the suburban scene around Toronto which was the area code is 90, still 905 we had such an incredible uh, local scene with so many great bands and and I think because the bands were good it made the other bands good you know like the bar was really raised and then you ended up with Boys Night Out and Silverstein you also ended up with Alexis on Fire and Monine uh, and Billy Talent just to name a few and those were just the bands that kind of got out of the scene and did some stuff. <laughs> I could name a half dozen bands that you've never heard of that were even maybe as maybe better, you know. So it was a really special time growing up. And I think that um, we didn't really know how special it was. We just kind of assumed like, oh, you know, because you hear about the other scenes. You hear about Long Island and definitely Boston for hardcore and uh, some of these other places. Not really realizing that where we had our scene, we were doing things like as well or even better than those other places too. And it was, it was a really special place to grow up for if, if you were into punk rock, that's for sure. That's a beautiful thing, man. I love that. I love those because it's one of those things you didn't know it at the time. You were just in it, but it's cool to see all these bands that have come out or like just for Boston, just because that's partial to me. Yeah. Like piebald cave in and converge as far as hardcore. It's like, I know. it's well, like, dude, and they're all still doing stuff. It's, it's incredible. Or, or like the examples you brought up, or Long Island is a perfect example. And all three of these places are relatively close to one another. We had, I mean, you know, just talking about New England, you know, hardcore, like how many bands would come up and play in my little hometown of Oakville, Ontario? Like, I don't know how many times I saw Death Threat. Tons. Like I saw Death Threat all the time or 100 Demons, you know, uh, all these bands from, from New England. Uh, American Nightmare, of course, you know, and... It was like insane how many Un unearth unearth used to come up and play uh, Oakville all the time. I remember they were like the first band I ever saw like with seven, the seven string guitars. And I was like, holy shit, like this, like to me, that was the, that was like the, the beginning of, you know, met modern metalcore was unearth. There was so much um, importance between the, like with the Massachusetts and well, I'll just call it new England. Cause I know a lot of bands were like from Connecticut and, and Rhode Island or whatever, but like that area and hardcore and and what was going on in our scene like in you know oakville ontario and suburbs of toronto hamilton was another place where we'd have a lot of shows in in canada and it was it was just cool you know to have to have all these bands coming through and it made us feel pretty special but now now i realize like why well why was everyone coming because the shows were fucking awesome like you'd have a friday night 
it didn't even matter who was playing there. There's going to be two or 300 kids like every time, every single time, you know, it was, it was, it got, it got to be something really, really special. Dude on earth. I have like an extra amount of pride for that band because they're mm-hmm. from Lynn, Massachusetts, which is a few miles North of Boston, but that's where I'm from. I've had buzz. He's, the guitarist mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. there, and I've had him on here a, a couple of times. You know, all these interviews I've done on Zoom, like you and I are doing right now. But last summer, I I, I live on a pond, and so I did an episode with him. I, I called it the Pond Cast, and he came over on like my boat, and we just putted around the the pond and just like yeah, we just chugged beers and ended up being one of the most popular episodes. The sound quality sucked because we're like airplanes <laughs> flying over and stuff like that, Whatever. dogs barking. But it's one of the best as far as just you know content. And I remember watching Unearth play at. At Furnace Fest in 03. They played that day too. I, yeah. I have a very vivid memory for that day for some reason. And um, yeah, they were uh, to me, they were always a, a really special band. And it was, it was great to see them get so popular. And they blew up. I remember I saw them opening for like fucking Slayer eventually. It was like, that's sick, you know, to, to, to see a band go from, you know, just being this hardcore band playing in a hall in my hometown on the floor to opening for Slayer was, I love that. I love that kind of shit. So sick. When I was in high school, man, so Buzz was the overnight janitor at my high school. Nice. You know, so there was this there was this huge, no pun intended, buzz around the school for Unearth because that was when the strings of conscience came out too. Yeah. So they were like blowing up, but he was like cleaning up the shit off the floor at the same time overnight, you know? It's like the yeah, that's like the story of um the offspring. The uh noodles from the offspring was the same thing. He had like the keep them separated video was on MTV and he was working in high school uh, high school as as janitor too. That's really funny. It's like the same story. Yeah, I didn't know that. The high school football games, right next to this venue, so the football field and the venue, I'm telling you, like you could throw a rock from one to the other. And the venue was called New World in Lynn, Mass. And there were just hardcore shows every weekend. So me and my friends, we would go to the football game and then we would go to New World. And like I've seen like Unearth and Small Brown Bike and all these other, mm-hmm. you know, legendary hardcore bands that at the time I had no idea how special it was no not a clue i know i know it's like you know people will post you know not just old old flyers but you know like old pages out of magazines when it's like hey this this like month these are all the bands playing in this like one particular venue in fucking i don't know you brought up small brown bright like michigan you know or somewhere like that it's like and you look at it and you're like oh my god I can't believe all these bands played like this one month at the shelter in Detroit or whatever. It's like, it's just crazy to think about kind of how good we had it, you know? And like the regret I have of not going to more shows, like, man, fuck math tests. Like I, you know, <laughs> I know I didn't go cause I had school in the morning and stuff, but man, like, I wish I could go back and, and see some of those, those bands that I just never got to see. Cause like, I guess cause, cause there was too many good shows at the time, you know? Totally, man. I feel the same way, but and that comes from someone who I did go to a lot of shows, but I didn't know, you know, how, how do you know? You're not, there's no way of knowing at the time, but of course you just, you just show up when you can. And, but when you look back, you're like, holy shit, that was special. Yeah. Now, yeah. let me ask you. So in the scene that you were coming up in and, and also relating to you, I would like to know how you became a musician and, and sing. you're a killer singer, man. And it's incredible how you can sing. And, and, and I don't know how to word this without sounding weird, but I love your scream too. It's it, you're, so I would just love to hear just anything that comes to mind with those questions. Yeah, of course. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you know, I had a pretty typical, you know, upbringing. Like my parents are still together. They're celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary in May. You know, I have one older sister. She's uh, six years older than me. So and she's she's cool. We're like really close. And she kind of got me into caring about music, various 
records she had, you know, in the early 90s, everything from Nine Inch Nails to Jane's Addiction to Dream Theater to uh, Metallica. You know, these are just four records I remember her having that I used to sneak into her room when she was out and listen to. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the record that made me say, I really like, I really want to do this was when I was about 10 or 11 years old was the Black Album by Metallica. I mean, I know it's a, a lot of people said that, but super influential album. And right away, I, I just said to my parents, like, I want to get an electric guitar. I want to learn to play. And my dad actually plays guitar. We, we had acoustic guitars like kicking around the house. But, you know, to me, that was like, that was lame. I didn't, I didn't care about that. I just wanted to, I wanted to play like the, the ending of one, like the super, ch- you know, fast chugging <laughs> part. I just wanted to do that. So I got a guitar. My, um, we found this guitar at Sears outlet store, basically like, you know, all the shit that Sears doesn't want anymore goes in this giant outlet store. And, uh, there was a table of guitars that was just like sitting around on on it. And they had been written on the back in Sharpie, how much the guitar was, (laughs) was going to cost. So for some reason, one of the guitars was considerably cheaper than the other. And it had, it was written on the back $25. So it was a, pl- a black, uh, the brand was Profile. Uh, it was like a super strat guitar and it was tw- $25 and uh, we bought it. And uh, I didn't have a case or anything. I remember I took it to my first lesson, just, hold- just holding it in my hand. You know, I walked in and uh, my first teacher's name was Peter and he, <laughs> he was cool. He kind of looked like Roy Orbison. It was weird. And uh, he taught me literally like, okay, this is the high E string, you know, open is E, the first fret is F, the third fret is G, you know, and, and we really went like, like I learned how to play guitar, like string by string and note by note. And he taught me all the theory, like how to read music and, and all that shit that a lot of people, I think that take lessons these days would just be like, nah, just like show me how to play Nirvana or whatever. And he did that too. But I, I learned a lot of the theory and a lot of the real basics of music, which really helped me. Uh, I think in my, I'll call it a career. I guess I can say that now. It's always weird to say career, like I'm fucking, I don't know. Anyway, uh, so that was where I got my start. And then from there, you know, Metallica to, it got heavier and heavier. And I found out about Pantera and Slayer and Cannibal Corpse. And then I, I think when Green Day and Offspring got big in 1994, that's when I learned about punk rock. And I found out that the offspring was on this label called Epitaph that had rancid and no effects. And, you know, in Canada, a lot of times those records weren't that easy to get. So I would mail order them. So I would, you know, get, it was either Epitaph or Fat Records or Hopeless Records. And I'd get all these punk records, um, CDs and records sent up to Canada. They were like 10 bucks at the store. They were like 20 or 25 and and mail order. They were 10 bucks. So I think I ordered every single record from Fat. Until, you know, I was just like all about punk rock. And then, I mean, there were records along around the time that like really changed my perspective. I think the biggest one for me was Lifetime Jersey's Best Dancers was the big gateway record where it was like, okay, this this is punk rock, but it doesn't have to be so, I don't know, political or like stupid. <laughs> and that was when I kind of realized, oh, you can have like emotional more emotional punk rock. And then of course that's when I found out about all the 
you know, emo bands like such as Piebald and, and, and everything and ended up starting Silverstein when I was uh, 18. So that's, uh, that was kind of my musical upbringing. And I don't know if that's the story you wanted, but it's the story I gave you. Yeah, man, that was perfect. And you played bass for a minute in Silverstein. Is that I, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I did play bass for a minute. Um, of literally a minute. Um, well, maybe not a minute, an hour, because I think I played one show once um, playing bass. It was it was basically like we had um, we had this guy originally in the band. His name was Noah, and he wasn't super like I don't know. I didn't I didn't know him very well. I'm not, I'm not really sure who he was friends with. He was in another band that was like a Christian band, and after a few practices in our first show. He just kind of didn't seem to be interested in playing with us. I don't know if that's because we're decidedly not Christian um, or if he just wanted to focus on other things. Nice guy, though. And then we were kind of left without a bass player after our first show. And we had like a we had like a house show or something we were going to play. And I played bass for that show. Like our second show ever was like in a basement. I think that's the only, only show I actually played bass for. I played guitar for one show too, because our guitar player couldn't do it. So I, I played guitar. We were opening for uh, one line drawing in Toronto one time. And my amp didn't work. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare of a show. But yeah, so I, I've, I've always, you know, dabbled in that stuff in the band, but I like to run around if I can. Running around is fun. I enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. Now, what about singing though? How did you know you could sing? Did you like grow up taking chorus in school or or vocal no. lessons or? No, yeah, I didn't guess I didn't bring up singing, did I? It's because every lead singer, and I know from the podcast, no singer is actually thinks they're a, they're a singer because it doesn't. No singer is a singer. Every singer starts out playing guitar or drums or something else, and then inevitably they're the only person in the room that can carry a tune, and it's like, okay, you do it, you know, and. That's what happened. I was kind of the leader, I guess, and was writing some of the stuff. And, and we were we were practicing like in my basement because my parents are cool. And I had a drum kit that I bought off. Well, it wasn't Kijiji, but, you know, <laughs> or, or Craigslist, whatever it was in the 90s. And um, so we'd practice there. So, yeah, it just kind of, you know, we talked about it and, you know, we had this goal of finding a singer. So there was a few guys from school that were like, you know, cool. Like this, remember this one guy, he had like long hair and a leather jacket and he like looked really badass so we were like hey man you should sing for our band he's like yeah yeah and he like came and he like sucked like couldn't not not only could he not not sing but he like couldn't even sing in time you know what i mean like he was just completely like terrible so after a few of those the band was like yo man you should just sing and i wasn't very good either i mean it wasn't like i was not wanting to sing and i was awesome like i was not wanting to sing and not very good and it's just the kind of thing like over time you get better and you get better. You, you mature. And I don't know, man, I guess at some point I started to figure it out. Uh, it, it's funny because you did ask me about the screaming. And when we started Silverstein, you know, there was a little post on this message board, primitive internet message board, the 905 board, it was called. And we, I, I went on there and um, was looking for another band. And somebody was like, hey, we're looking to start a band and we're looking for a singer. And, you know, would like you to be able to sing and scream. And I said to them, well, hey, I can't scream because I'd never done it before at that point. So I, they said, oh, OK, well, I don't know. Like, we really want a screamer. And I was like, I, I just I can't do it. I've never screamed before. But I guess I was good enough or they liked me enough that we started the band anyway. So if, if you were to listen to our first demo, there isn't any screaming on it. There's some kind of yelling kind of. But I didn't know how to scream yet. And when our second guitar player, Neil, joined the band, 
he came from more of a metal background. He was in this band Maharaj, which actually played at the Hellfest back in the day. He had written this song that had one part where it was like, it was like a kind of an emo, like very slow emo song. The song's called The Last Days of Summer. And then in the middle of it, it goes like, guitar distortion comes in and it's like and then right on that downbeat they were like yo it would be sick if there was like a scream there so i was like i don't know if i can do it so we happened to be recording our practice like just on a ghetto blaster uh can you still say that boombox whatever it is and um (laughs) you would uh so so we have that recorded literally my first ever scream is is recorded on a cassette tape somewhere i i don't have it anymore but i think billy might have it but it's literally like and that's like that was when i something unlocked in me where i was like hey wait a second maybe maybe i can figure this out and then i spent the next few years losing my voice (laughs) practicing (laughs) screaming in my car where nobody could hear me until it was kind of there but i don't know man i like if there's been people that have come up to me and be like hey man like you could you teach me like to scream and it's like I I don't know if I really can. Like, I kind of just scream my head off and I've kind of found a a place to do it where it sounds okay and doesn't hurt me. But like, if if I had to teach that, like teach someone how to do long division, it's not really like the same, (laughs) the same thing. So a lot of trial and error with, with vocals for me, for sure. That's crazy, man. So you never really sang before or, or like screamed before. No, I mean, I I did sing because I was always interested in songwriting. You know, it's funny because I just turned 41 last week happy birthday Um, man well thank you yeah so i turned 41 and i actually remembered this song that i wrote on my 13th birthday i and i actually remembered the words and everything and and like as early as that i was still like writing songs and singing i just wasn't a very good singer the truth is like nobody's really a good singer when you're 13 like maybe fucking Justin Bieber or someone like with this like you know god given talent i don't have but you know I was interested in that. So I, I always was singing and I always thought, okay, maybe I could do like a backup vocal thing in a band or whatever, but like to be the front man and lead singer, I don't know if it was really something I wanted to do and if it was in my, my personality at the time, but then, you know, over time I grew into it and I started to embrace it and here I am with a podcast about it. So that's awesome. <laughs> well, Thanks, let man. me ask you this dude. So nowadays, right? Two part question. What is your pre-show routine? Say we're an hour or two before you're set. What do you do to get ready for your show? Also, on like a longer run, whatever, say it's a six-week tour, what do you do throughout those six weeks to make sure that you preserve your voice? Yeah, that's a good question. I've always been pretty, I'd say I warm up a lot less than most singers. In fact, back in the day, I like almost didn't warm up. I didn't do a lot of preparation. Like there were times when I'd be, you know, at a bar or a restaurant with people and be like, oh shit, gotta go. Like, I'm on stage in 10 minutes and I just like pretty much go and get on stage. That was like how how I would do it. But over the past few years, I've definitely started to be a little, take it a little more seriously. Now about an hour before we all get in the dressing room, you know, we get dressed, we, you know, kind of hang out. I do my vocal warm ups. just try to like kind of get my in the mindset of like, okay, I'm going to be performing a show for all these people that that came and want to see it i think maybe a part of it why i didn't do that before was because of where i came from in the punk scene which was like okay i'm just gonna go on stage wearing what i wore to school that day and i was just moshing for the band before and now i'm playing and then the band after i'm gonna be moshing again 
like that, you know, it was just like we were just in a community and it was like I was just a person there that was playing in a band. It wasn't like a, this is why I felt so lame about saying career earlier because I never felt that way. But now I think I've accepted the fact that like, okay, I'm 40 one and this is real and people are paying money to come see me and like maybe i should uh fucking iron my shirt you know not maybe not literally but you know <laughs> figuratively speaking do a good show for people and like be prepared and put the time in and and do my best and and take it a little bit more seriously than just like okay we're we're kids in a van roaming around with the heat stuck on you know like obviously things have graduated so that's kind of my my pre-show routine when you're talking about a long tour which we just did. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is just to try to get sleep for me every night. I got to make sure I get a full sleep. And sometimes I don't sleep well on, on tour. So I end up not being able to go to bed till if I can't fall asleep till four or five in the morning. And guess what? I'm not getting up till noon or 1 p.m. the next day because I have to get sleep. I've learned try to keep my heartburn under control because sometimes I'm prone to that. Taking that um, omeprazole, you know, that's something that I think has has gotten me in the past is is acid reflux and stuff from whether it's from singing or from just eating spicy ass food i don't know drinking too much but um you know at the same time like i i think i don't i don't i don't want to be like miserable worrying about my voice 23 hours a day and then the other 24th hour i'm on stage i i don't want to live like that so i'm trying to i want to take the steps necessarily to do my best but you know some people were like, they don't talk between shows. It's like, no, fuck that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I still want to live my life. You take it serious, but yeah, not so serious to the point where you can't have fun because yeah. if you can't have fun, what's the point, right? It, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and like about 80% of the time, I'm fine. 10% of the time, I'm really good. And 10%, 10 of the time, I'm bad. <laughs> That's kind of like my, my ratio. In the 10% that I'm bad, like, how many of those do people really notice? Like, like, or how, or how much is it just that I notice because I have my in ears up and I can hear every little nuance in my voice? You know, how much of that do you notice? And like, sure, there's been shows where like I'm fucking terrible because I lost my voice or whatever, and like we actually had to cancel a show for the first time ever in 21 years of being a band. We had to cancel a show on the last tour because I just blew my voice out. I had I had a cold and I blew my voice out and. We had to cancel the show, so I'm not invincible. But at the same time, you know, I think a lot, there's a lot of singers out there that I see and they're miserable the whole time they're on tour um, because they're just, I don't know, they're just really just so stressed about their voice every day. And I think honestly, that stress leads to vocal problems. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that if you're thinking about it, if you're worried about it, then it's, uh, it's going to happen, you know, stress is real. Dude, stress is real, man. That's so true. I mean, your mental and physical health certainly go hand in hand, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask about this most recent tour. So I, I recently have had a couple of the four-year strong guys on here, uh, yeah. D Dan and, and Jake, and one of them mentioned that they were on tour with you, we with together. Silverstein, when, yeah, we when everything shut down. Yeah, so yeah. again, another two-part question here. How did you, uh, maybe it's too much for a two-parter, but I was going to ask <laughs> how, you, how you navigated and how you kept kept yourself busy through the pandemic and then how sure. the how it felt being back on tour. Yeah, well, you know, to, to go back even further, um, March 11th, 2020, we were in North Carolina. We were about 10, 10 days into that tour. And I remember we that day talking to, uh, yeah, talking to Dan, I think. 
Dan from four year or Alan maybe. And, and we were talking about what's going to, what's happening. Like shit's starting to get crazy, you know? And we went on stage and um, played. I remember came, coming off stage and we found out that uh, Rudy Gobert, Utah Jazz NBA player, got it. Uh, Tom Hanks got it. NBA was shutting down. And I said right there, I was like, I don't know if we're going to play a show for a while. I think this might be it. And then the next day we had a day off. We were in, uh, still in, in North Carolina. And it was like, it was like changing every half an hour. Like we're going to Atlanta for the next show. We're going home. We're going to Atlanta. It was like, it was crazy and very, very weird. Right. And um, yeah, we, we went, we went back home. It was depressing, dude. It was our biggest tour we'd ever done. We actually like just killing it. Shows were all sold out and we just released a brand new album. It's like the worst time in history to release a new album. And um, yeah, we got home. We just, I sat right here in this place and it was terrible, man. I was, we were worried about, you know, we, we'd been a band that had been on tour for like the last, at that point, 17 straight years. So we were all worried about finances and, and, you know, paying the bills. Like this is like the entire money for a year that we were losing because of this tour. And it was, it was real. It was like real uh, stress to say the least and depression setting in. But, you know, I just said, I said yes to everything. <laughs> Started doing, you know, um, everything from, you know, happy birthday videos to writing with other bands and features and <laughs> um, Twitch and all this stuff. And that was what we did to pass the time. And before long, we realized like, we're going to be all right. You know, we started doing those, all the live stream shows every band was doing. And we pivoted to some other stuff and enjoyed it. And I think that we're all better off for it, honestly. You know, um, we, we just made up the tour dates finally last year, the same tour. We, we, four year couldn't do it, unfortunately. We had to get some other bands, but you know, those tickets that people bought in 2019, we're still valid, you know, we, we, cause we didn't know when it was going to end. So we, you know, we kept being like, all right, this is the new show date. Okay. We can't do it. This is the new show date. So eventually we did all the shows and they were great. It was so successful and so good to be back and it felt amazing. But then, you know, the last show we played in Toronto, we filmed it and we did a live stream and, you know, we did like the audio was mixed by the guy that did our record and we shot it with like seven different cameras and, you know, that kind of a thing we would have never done if it wasn't for the pandemic. So if you're if we're looking for the silver lining of COVID, we have picked up some skills, um, and I know how to play Happy Birthday now. Um, if you you know if it's your birthday, I can sing a Happy Birthday. Didn't know how to do that before COVID, so you know picked up some important skills. <laughs> That's awesome, man. All right, so we actually have come up almost to an hour, and there's some more questions. We can, that... keep, we can keep going, man. I, I'm... Are you cool with that? Yeah. I don't want to commit to too long until like, I know I'm going to enjoy it, you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm having a good time. So let's, let's keep it going. Sure. I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you. Yeah, man, it is. <laughs> um, well, I wanted to go back and talk about, and I know this is like a, a, a very serious thing. So early on in your careers, you were on tour with Bayside and I had, I had Jack O'Shea on here before and I, I just like didn't have it in me to, to bring it up. But you were on the tour with Bayside um, when, tragically, uh, they got in a van wreck and John Beats passed away. Um, yeah. Can you just talk about whatever you're comfortable with? And I know you wrote a song yeah. about it, too. So Yeah, we, we do have a song about it called Here Today, Gone Tomorrow from our third album. And yeah, man, um, John was 
so I want before I before I get into the story, like John was just such an incredible, happy-go-lucky, um, fun dude. The kind of guy that would just always a smile on his face, never had a bad day, was always just, you know, having fun, right? Great drummer, great, great person. Always made me, he always made me laugh. And, uh, you know, this, this one time in the song here today, gone tomorrow, there's a, there's a line where I say, I'll never forget the liberty and fortitude, which when you read the lyrics to the song, you're like, what the fuck does that mean? What's liberty and fortitude? The story behind that was we, we were overseas. Hawthorne Heights was headlining is their first time over in the UK. It was Bayside and us. Uh, in Spitalfield. So it was like four, four victory bands. We were all really close friends and we, we shared two buses. And uh, after the London show with Hawthorne Heights is oh, such a great fucking show. We had this little after party that victory records put on, you know, we all had a few drinks, uh, maybe beats a little, little bit more than the rest of us. And as we were walking back to the buses from the, from the after party, he just was like running around London, like crossing over the streets. Cars are like honking at him and everything. And I remember him just talking about, he's like, I love England. I love London. This place is great, man. This place is great. But you know what? I don't know, man. It's just, it's missing something. It's just, it's missing the liberty and the fortitude. We were like, what are you talking about? You know, just this like New Yorker um, being crazy, talking about liberty and fortitude, which I still don't know what he meant, (laughs) but it was something that we used to quote the liberty and fortitude of America. And, um, our tour manager, after he passed away, our, our tour manager has liberty and fortitude on his on his wrists because of that. So, you know, going back to the day, um, worst day of my life really was um, October October thirtieth. We played in um, Kansas. No, sorry, we played in Denver. We had the next day in Salt Lake City. It's a long drive through the mountains on uh, one of the roads where a lot of bands have have crashed and a lot of accidents happen on on. I think it's I-80. And before we left, uh, we, we had a bus for that tour. And it was the first time we ever had a bus on a, we did a bus on Warped Tour, but on a real tour, we had a, we had a bus. You know, it was a long drive and Bayside left a little bit before us. And I remember talking to them about the drive and being like, yo, it's be, be careful. You know, it's supposed to be not the best weather and, and whatever. And Jack was even saying to me, Oh yeah, like our we're a little worried because our tires are like you know we don't have new tires on our van and stuff. I was like, okay, well you know be careful or whatever. And so you know they left and we left after them whenever our bus call was. No, not that much later. And uh, I stay up late at night and I don't sleep very well on tour. <laughs> so um, I remember we'd been driving for a little while and uh, the bus stopped and the uh, driver woke up our tour manager and I was up. So everyone else was sleeping, but me and tour manager got up and um, there was a wreck, you know, on the, the middle of the road. And uh, the, the bus driver said, yo, I think that's, I think that's one of our, one of our guys. So we, uh, we, you know, I, I wish I didn't get out of the bus um, is a long story. Uh, I mean, it's a short story, but, but then, you know, we it became pretty clear right there that you know there it was it was bad so we called up Hawthorne Heights who were I think 
maybe a little bit behind us. And we called up Aiden to the, the other band that was in a van. And we said, Hey, um, Bayside's been in a wreck and we have to, we're going to the hospital. This is like the hospital that they're at. We went there and we sat in the waiting room and we waited for the doctor and all of, well, we didn't know what was going on, but the doctor came out and he gave us the report that Jack and Anthony were okay. And Nick was not, and he had broken his, broken his back or whatever. And there was no other like report. And we're like, well, what about John? And the doctor said, well, John wasn't admitted. So somebody was like, well, what the fuck does that mean? You know, like it was very sad and it was very, um, a very hard moment. I can just picture, you know, every look on everybody's face. And, and uh, that was kind of the moment we realized that John had, John hadn't made it, you know? And uh, yeah, it was tough. It was really tough and having to console, you know, Jack and Jack called John's brother and yeah, it was, it was a, it was a really tough, tough time. And we shut the tour down and the next day we, we were on all in um, Wyoming together. And, you know, obviously like we were, all, we were all really close friends, like all four bands, we were all on the same label, but it was, uh, it was, it was really horrible. And um, I'll tell you though, uh, Tony Victory did do a pretty stand-up thing, and he he paid he paid for John's wedding uh, wedding. Oh my god, John's funeral. I'm sorry, and had us all flew us all out there, which was which was a really um, a really cool thing for him to do. But it was it was really terrible. Yeah, you know, we just we could we really really couldn't have lost a better person. Like I described him, he just was he was just always smiling, always having a good time, never angry never shit talking anybody. He was just one of those people that was just like always there. And yeah, man, I, I think about him a lot. Well, um, I'll say, man, thank you for sharing that story. Cheers to John beats. Yeah, man. Beats forever. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, it really, it was tough to, you know, after, um, we resumed the tour, it was kind of strange. We, we would JT and I, we would go out before the show and we would, we would tell the crowd that, um, you know, Bayside wasn't performing because of John. And we would like kind of say a little thing about him, which was, I guess just at the time, you know, the internet wasn't like as prevalent, like for people to know, like this kind of shit. So, but yeah, we used to go out there and, and say something about John every day. And then, and then Anthony and Jack came out on the tour and they were playing acoustic to finish the dates and they rode on our bus with us. So, you know, obviously like, you know, the, you know, Bayside, they've always been close friends of ours. Like we toured with them even before that back in 03 and they've always been tight, but tight with us. But those guys are, they're, they're, they're just, it's, it runs deeper with me than, um, than anything because of what we've, what we've been through. So they're just incredible, incredible people and musicians. I love that band. Um, again, thanks so much for sharing that. Well, on a lighter note, so I got to ask about my homies in Piebald. And I think that's how I found your amazing podcast. Once again, it's called <laughs> Lead Singer Syndrome. You had my dude Travis on there. And, you know, I'm putting together some some stuff to celebrate. Well, I mean, they've been a band for almost 30 years at this Crazy. point. So 
I'm already starting to think about how to celebrate that, which is in just two years, I guess. But the album We Are The Only Friends We Have, which I think is safe to say was like the one for them Yeah, that just turned 20 years old. And yeah, I'd love to hear any memories you have with Piebald and, and what they mean to you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you say that that We Are The Only Friends We Have is their, is the record. I think I would agree looking back, but I remember... A lot of people, like a lot of cool guys didn't like that one because Venetian Blinds record was like the one back in the day. But I love I love that album. I remember seeing them play when it came out. They played at uh, this venue in Toronto called Lee's Palace. And I remember just hearing those songs. And, you know, the thing about Pieball that I always really liked, they're just such a great live band. Um, I remember one time I saw them open up for Newfound Glory and H2O. That was kind of a weird tour. My friend was like sort of seeing one of the dudes in newfound glory so i like got to go the first bus i ever went on was newfound glory's bus whenever this was like probably around 2001 and piebald was opening and i remember meeting them and then the next day we were playing a show with piebald in oakville ontario at, at this um at this venue called the pine room and having piebald play was like a big fucking deal in our in our town you know um, everybody loved Piebald. They were like kind of legends. So the show was Piebald, Small Brown Bike, Monine, and Silverstein. So we opened up. Partly we got the show because it was my PA they were using. <laughs> so I let the promoter use my PA and uh, then we got to play. So we played and then Monine played second. And uh, they decided to put fireworks on their guitars and explode them during the set, which was very ill-advised because it set off like the fire alarms. And we had like 500 people in a room that like definitely didn't hold 500 people. And the fire department came and like we all had to go outside. And, you know, basically what happened was there was such a long delay in the show. Most people went home and just thought the show was going to get shut down because there was like a couple hours at least where we had to be outside. But eventually Small Brown Bike and uh, Piebald, they both did play very short, like 25-minute sets or something. I'll tell you, man, Monine, great friends of mine to this day. I love those guys. They they were hated, man, for like years because of this incident. You know, like they were, they really were like, the dogs of the scene for a minute there because this one incident, you know, with Piebald. So uh, I don't know if these are the kind of stories you're, you're looking for, but um, no, dude, this is, this is exactly what I'm looking for. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and the other, the other story, it's kind of funny. We, I told this one on the, on the episode I did with, with uh, Travis on, on my show, but it was 2005 and we were recording our album, discovering the waterfront and you know, you're recording a record the last thing on your mind is fucking laundry. Well, I have two of my favorite shirts was uh, a piebald hoodie. The one with the like skulls on the, on the arms, on the sleeves, like the skull and crossbone on it. Pretty famous, um, you know, <laughs> early 2000 band merch. Uh, so I had, I had that hoodie. I used to wear it all the time. And then I had another uh, piebald shirt that was the kind of green pieball logo that said we are the only friends we had on, like on the front, a black shirt. So I had these shirts, but I was very careful 
never to wear them together because I didn't want to, you know, over piebald. You know, I didn't want to like look like I liked the band too much. <laughs> so we're playing, we're recording this album in California. And this one day I was on my last t-shirt. I mean, I wore the piebald hoodie every day, right? Because the hoodie. But I was on my last t-shirt and I wore a double piebald. I wore this t-shirt under the hoodie. So we go to the studio, we record that day and you're laughing, but you're muted. It's really funny watching you. <laughs> Why are you muted? Laughs are the best part. Yeah, I don't know. Because I, I, I didn't want like, to interrupt. I'm like talking to myself. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, uh, I, um, we, we were recording in the, in the studio and, and that day there was a show. I remember it very well. It was Armor for Sleep and Say Anything at Chain Reaction. So love those bands. And first time I ever saw Say Anything, too, by the way. So it's Chain Reaction. If anyone's ever been to Chain Reaction, when you have a packed show, which almost all of them are, it's so fucking hot in there. So I roll up in my piebald hoodie, piebald shirt underneath. And of course, like, it's hot. So, I'm, you know, just I just have my zipper open, right? To cool me down a little bit. So I'm in the back room because I know Armor for Sleep. And there's a couple guys there. I'm like, oh fuck, that's Travis uh, and um, Stewart. Uh, right, but what's what's Stewart's first name? Aaron. Aaron Stewart. Aaron. Aaron. Right. Aaron. Yeah. Aaron still rides a lot, right? Except <laughs> now, now he's just fatter. So Aaron, <laughs> yeah. right? So, um, so they they're there, right? And I'm I see them, and I'm like, you've got to be fucking shitting me. The one day I happen to be wearing two two of these, you know, wearing these clothes these clothes. I run into the band like they're from Boston. What are they doing in Southern California anyway? Right. So Aaron says to me, hey, man, nice shirts. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm uh, and I'm like so mortified. (laughs) Like I I have never been more embarrassed in my life. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, but what was funny about it was was I so I said oh hey man yeah like I love your band my name is uh my name is Shane and he says Stuart and I'm thinking to myself no 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 your name's Aaron like why are you like lying to me like giving me a fake name because I didn't know at the time like he went by like a different a different name or whatever right so I was like oh fuck do these guys like are these guys like ha- hating on me or whatever and when they, they weren't I was just I was just paranoid at the time because you know I knew it was Aaron from the song. <laughs> you were, you were in your own head. Uh, was, yeah, I was. Oh yeah, I was definitely you know in in my own head. And after that, for a while, I was like, damn, I I really embarrassed myself. And I mean, I did, but <laughs> but I, I'll talk about that record. Um, we are the only friends we have. I just there's so many things I love about the record, but I really think Piebald and their use of odd time signatures and some of the little technical things that they 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 did in their music really set them apart from the other bands at the time. And not to say, you know, someone like the Get Up Kids or other bands that were kind of like their peers and, and obviously the Get Up Kids were way bigger than them at the time. Not to say, like, take anything away from them and what they were doing, but I always thought Piebald and, and their musicianship was really special. And I still, like, just think about you know, if it's done, like just even that little thing and that that just happens to be in six, four time, like, like just those little things 
I always thought were really, really cool about the band and I always appreciate. And um, I feel like that record's aged really well too. 20 years. Congrats. Hey, cheers. 20 years. Boom. Love it. I love it. I love, I love Piebald and, um, and yeah, it's, it's really cool that they're, that they're doing shows again. I would, I would love to, uh, I wish I could have seen them at Furnace Fest. That would have been a really good time. You have time for a few more questions, Shane. Sure, man. Sure. I would love to talk about traveling for a minute. You've done the UK. I believe you've done Japan and you've, you've kind of been all, right. all, all over the world, right? Through uh, Silverstein. So maybe. Something like, something like 49 countries. I don't know 49? if we get to 50 yet, but we, we've done. Yeah, we've been. We've, I've been everywhere, man. All right. I'd love to hear about that. So <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. I'm all. Go ahead. All right. So what is favorite country you've been to? Or actually, no, let me rephrase. If you had to drop everything right now, just pretend the pandemic didn't exist for a minute. If you okay. had to, if you had to drop everything right now and move somewhere tomorrow, move where like would you live. go? Oh, yep, and live there. That's tough. Living, yeah, living is different though, right? As a Canadian, I I feel pretty pretty lucky that I'm Canadian and I live in a place, for example, that has healthcare and things things of that nature. The weather sucks, but you know the fact that I live here is I do feel lucky to be Canadian and there's a reason I still live in Canada I guess right but some of my favorite places absolutely love Australia Melbourne Australia is just a magical magical place with so much um, culture and um, just great people great food pretty good weather I know not the best weather in Australia we have this song where we say the weather in Melbourne's best and uh, or weather in Melbourne is best is actually the word and a lot of Australians are like, what do you mean? The weather in Melbourne's like the worst. And it was kind of tongue in cheek on purpose. But I do, we do love, like, I love Melbourne so much. In terms of like other magical places that I've visited that I love, but I don't know about living there, would be somewhere like Japan. I love visiting Japan. Could I live there? I don't know. Like not being able to speak the language, that could be tough after a while. Is it beautiful? Do I think it's incredible? Yes. Right. So, there is like those those different factors for sure. I mean, Germany too. Like I absolutely love Germany. Maybe not the best weather either. I'm a big weather guy. If I'm gonna if I'm moving somewhere, better have good weather. That's a good answer. Speaking from Australia, did you ever run into some crazy like I've never been. I'll get there one day. It's it's a must do on my list. I dread the flight. <laughs> I, I wanna take a boat there too. You said your parents took a boat there? Oh, so you is, is you take a boat because you are you scared of flying? Not at all. I but I'm more like just dreading a 20 plus hour flight. Like I don't do well just flying from Boston to LA. It's six hours, and I like I want. I'm like punching myself in the head yeah. by the time by the time the flight's over. Yeah. Can I do it? Would I survive? Yeah, I'll be fine. But it's more like if I can take like a fun cruise, I'd rather do that. But sure. But aside from that, it's like just the the specimens that they have like spiders the size of your head or oh whatever. yeah yeah so yeah. did you ever have any run-ins like that um yeah, yeah the, the thing i remember most we, we played this show in byron bay australia which is a beautiful beautiful place the city that parkway drives from in fact i believe this show the show i'm talking about we stayed at parkway drive singer's house we slept in their garage their parents wow. were really nice yeah he's the, they, were, they, were, they were great um but we were just talking to somebody like at the show after like everyone's cleared out and I'm just talking to somebody and like it was like an Australian Australian person I was talking to massive spider like the size of my hand was on the wall like two feet from their head and I was just like dude 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 like and I was like like this 
giant spider. And the Australian dude just looked, looked at it and went, oh, yeah, yeah, mate, yeah. Like, they're not phased at all, you know, by this hand, hand-sized spider on the wall. So that definitely, that's a thing. It's kind of cool, too, when you're driving. Because Australia, the major cities, it's like Canada, the major cities are really far apart. And we've done some tours where we've had to drive. So you're talking about like a 10-hour drive in a van in Australia. Because they, they don't have buses. That's another thing in Australia. The, the buses are like illegal. So you basically are flying between venues or you're taking a van. And like, it's like really weird when you'll just see like kangaroos on the side of the road, just like hanging out. Kind of, it's just, it's cool, you know? But then, yeah, they have these, all these like animal sanctuaries and stuff too, where, you know, you can feed kangaroos or like hold a koala and like all that stuff is, is all pretty cool. Luckily, I haven't seen any snakes. Wouldn't love that <laughs> yeah, to see a snake in the wild but um it's a pretty cool place man and uh yeah i i really like it i gotta get there but yeah snakes don't bother me as much the spider thing no thank you Mm -mm, mm -mm. (laughs) hell no let me ask you this dude i would like to know what the biggest challenge you've had to overcome maybe as a band and or individually and you have to call it a career at this point and you you should be proud of that yeah well thank you and and i am i am seriously i am i think challenges it's it's a tough question there's been a lot of you know ups and downs the obvious answer is covid (laughs) Uh, but the problem with that answer is everybody went through it right we all had our challenges with it i think being in a band though and having literally your like entire business of playing live shows which is how we make 90 percent of our earnings probably was playing shows or selling merch at shows, having that taken away overnight and not coming back. I mean, we're coming up on two years and we did one tour and in Canada, like you still kind of can't like we're basic, like we are out of lockdown now, but barely. So, you know, um, that is, that is definitely a huge challenge. Um, you know, I think I think another challenge early on was the fact that we're from Canada is it was a really, really tough, like, you know, getting visas for the America, having to navigate the border and all those things we had to do early on to get get ourselves out there. We signed to an American label on purpose so that we could have that be easier. I think that that's something that maybe some Americans might not understand is just just that, like being being Canadian having to contend with that border is a big challenge when you're a band too, especially in the days back in the day. So I don't know if those are the great answers, but that's kind of what I got for, at least for that. Was there a second part of the question? I forget. No, that's a great answer though. The next okay. question though is proudest moment of your musical career, Shane. Oh, hmm. when we got signed to victory back in 2002 in the summertime, that was the most surreal moment. I think. Because we were just this local band from, you know, it was just a local band. We, we just played local shows. We, we had done exactly two tours and they were like just going to the East Coast of Canada and back like in our shitty van. Like we never toured the States and we didn't like get on a national tour. Like we just did some shows out of town and called it a tour, you know, over like a week and a half. So for all of a sudden the guy that had put out all of our favorite hardcore records and like now had been making a splash with Thursday and taking back Sunday. The fact that that guy was on the phone saying, I think you guys are amazing. I want to sign you. That was a pretty proud moment. 
And the, the real funny part was before that, when our original guitar player, Richard, he left the band to go to school out on the West Coast. So he left the band and I kind of at the time didn't know if we could do it without him. He was a pretty important piece of the band. <laughs> and, and I said, like, okay, well, if you're leaving, like, I guess like we'll call it like we'll call the band and he's like no you guys should keep going you know like you guys are having fun you know do it whatever and i was like okay well you know i mean we could maybe do it if you wanted to like do it temporary like like part-time like we just do it in the summer or whatever and he's like ah you know it's okay it's like it's like it's not like we're gonna get signed to victory records or anything like direct quote he said that he literally said that so you know um it was the fact that victory was the label that that wanted us was a very proud moment it was like the label <laughs> you know for what we were doing at the time was is like it's pretty crazy you know and then it's it's and, and like i know maybe it's weird to pick a moment from 20 years ago as my proudest moment or or whatever but everything is just built from that like it's just been a series of very small growth literally just day by day week by week month by month things that we have slowly slowly built up to where we are you know we never had this song explode on the radio or mtv or like overnight success we were never that band still not that band so that was the first and much that that was the breakthrough thing was was that signing and everything else has followed from that so that's the proudest moment i don't think that's weird at all man it's yeah. a beautiful thing dude all right Final question. Okay. And then uh, I want to talk about your podcast a little bit and we'll close it out. If you could give advice to like a younger version of yourself or someone up and coming, what would it be? I get this question sometimes and I even get bands asking me, you know, new bands saying, hey, what should I do? And I'm like, man, I don't know what to tell you. Like when we were coming up, it was like a big deal that we had a website. Like that was like crazy. Like what you have a, you're a band, you have a website. Like what do you need a, what do you need a website for? Like maybe Metallica has a website, but like you're a emo band or whatever. Why do you need a website? You know, those kinds of things. Right. And we always like embrace the technology every step of the way. That was like always something that was important, but now we have our fan base. Like we just got a TikTok account, for example. Right. Like this shit's getting weirder and weirder. <laughs> so for me to try to give to advice to a, to a band, it's like, I, I can't, you can't follow the playbook we followed. It's the world is completely different and exponentially growing and changing, you know? Yeah. So maybe my answer is TikTok. I don't know. Do that. You know, <laughs> you take whatever resource you can, you know, and, and, and grow, but like, okay, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say it seriously. I think at its core, the most important thing that you do in a band is obviously your music and your recorded music. And that needs to be perfect. And you need to use every single tool you can to make it the best it can be. That hasn't changed. Obviously, the tools are different in 2022 than they were in 2002. In 2002, we, figured, we learned about this thing called auto-tune. It was like, oh, shit, I'm not the, that good a singer. Wait a second. Yes, I am. You know what I mean? Like, th these are, th that was the like, crazy, crazy thing that we figured out in 2002. Now, every single record has auto-tune on it. And if you don't believe me, that's fine, but it does. Now, okay, what's that thing now, right? It's like every band should be, okay, how can we make our band sound the best? You know, and, and then everything should follow. Obviously, back in 2002, 
we made a website and that was a crazy, crazy deal, a big deal, you know? Now it's like, okay, a band maybe makes a TikTok or makes a whatever other thing to bolster their recorded music. But at the end of the day, recorded music is the most important. That's what you should be spending most of your time doing, not worrying about social media trends and video shoots and photos and what you're going to wear on stage. Sure, all that stuff. I'm not going to say that stuff doesn't matter. Actually, I will say it doesn't matter if your music sucks. So that's the only advice I really can can still give that's relevant, I guess, 20 years later after I figured that out, you know? Dude, you're the man. Well, thank, <laughs> thank you, man. I, I don't know about that. I I, um, I try to just be honest and real, and I just I speak my mind. I don't have much of a filter. It gets me in a little bit of trouble, but I, I uh, you know, you just you get me every single time. My personality doesn't really change from when we're talking or I'm just you know, talking to my parents. It's, I'm kind of the same dude all the time. I can relate to you in that because I've always been one to get myself in a little bit of trouble. And I think a little bit of trouble is okay. As long (laughs) as it's not like anything serious. And you know what I mean? Because your honesty comes through. And I think that's really important and people can relate to that. And, um, let's close this out proper. I definitely want to talk about your podcast for a second because you have an amazing podcast called lead singer syndrome. You recently hit your 300th episode with, uh, yeah. and, and I particularly enjoyed that one because you had Jake from Converge, which was super radical. I, I had Kurt from Converge around the same time, but uh, cool. your podcast is like super pro and it's similar to what I'm doing, but you specifically focus on lead singers. And yeah. I mean, it, it's way better than my show. So anybody who's listening to this right now, there's definitely, we've had a couple of crossover guests and it's something, if you enjoy this, podcast you will definitely enjoy lead singer syndrome hands well, thanks. down thanks for the shout out man um, of course yeah yeah three i just had episode 303 which i got the guy from 303 to do it <laughs> I, I mean yeah like, it's it just awesome. made sense it made sense but yeah no i've had yeah over over 300 episodes most of them i feel are are pretty good and i think there's something you can take away from from each and every one of them and i i really do enjoy picking people's brains about what it's like to you know, be the front man or front woman of a band. And that's, that's what I do. Lead singer syndrome, check it out. When I listen to your show, I feel as if you and I have seen a, a similar personalities. I'm like, I, right, I feel, right, I, feel right. like I want to have a beer with this guy. Like this, this is my kind of guy. So uh-huh. yeah. I, I just think that you do a wonderful job and, and I know you're going to keep that going. And I'm sure that kept you yeah. sane during the pandemic for oh, sure. No, definitely. That's, that's a really good point to bring up. I think the fact that I had that as not only something to do, also as like another source of income was like pretty important too for my own well-being even if it was just more in my own head than reality but it was also great because when the pandemic hit i shouldn't say great but when the pandemic hit you know everyone's just like bored and like coming to me and like there's a couple months there in in like mid 2020 where i had fucking like everybody like i had like so all these guests, you know, in a row, like, you know, everybody from, uh, you know, like Jim from Jimmy World and, and like just, just uh, that, that guy Love, that, that like that huge like pop star, you know, all these people are like, yeah, I want to do it. I want to do the show. I want to do the show. I'm sitting around. I'm bored. So that was like a cool little moment for, for podcasting. But I really do enjoy it. And um, thank you for listening. And thank you for the shout out. It means a lot. Of course, man. Do you have anything else to plug? Like what's up with Silverstein or anything else you got going on? We, we are, we're having a huge week here. We are making a huge announcement. 
um, this Thursday. We got a whole bunch of stuff coming out. We we've got um, new music. We got everything else. Just it's like now is the time for us. It feels really good. I think the last record we put out, like I mentioned, it came out in March of 2020. Um, I think it was March 6th was the record. So like a week later, the world shut down. Like like a really bad time to try to get eyeballs on new music. So we are really excited to be able to kind of do this properly and get a whole bunch of stuff out there. And uh, March 26th, we start our tour with Beartooth. Beartooth, us, Devil Wars Prada, and Era all across America. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Beartooth are some of our best friends. Silvertooth lives. We got European festivals all summer. Obviously, we haven't been to Europe in over two years, which is like killing me because it's one of my favorite places to go and play. That's going to be super fun too. And uh, after that, there'll be more and more stuff. Like it's going to be pretty much from now for the next like 18 months we're going hard so it's exciting i love it shane told this is and i uh, love you my friend thank you for having <laughs> me and, and uh this has been this has been great i i don't get to talk for two hours about myself all the time so you know hey that was that was fun i hope i didn't bore anybody no the the, the feeling is mutual <laughs> this is an honor been a big fan for a long time and uh you've been on my list for a long time so i'm glad uh we worked this out thanks man appreciate it I'm on your list. What does that mean? You're you're on my hit list. No, you're on my list for the podcast, man. <laughs> We've been trying to do this for a long time, and um, I keep saying like, "Yeah, man, anytime." And you're like, "Okay, how about this time?" <laughs> I don't get the message. I'm like, I mean, I mean, literally anytime. Okay. But I'm bad at I'm bad at Instagram DMs. So, um, <laughs> don't worry about it, man. You, and thanks again. Pleasure's all mine. All right, let's wrap this one up, baby. Come on, yes. Shane Toll, thank you so much, brother. I truly enjoyed that conversation. Now, here's the deal. If this is your first time checking out the two-week notice podcast, thanks so much. It means a lot to me. If this is your vibe, make sure to hit subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode in the future and check that backlog. I've had some killer guests in the past. If you really want to help me out and you have an iPhone in particular, the little purple square says podcasts, all right, look up my show, Two Week Notice Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed, then scroll all the way down. Hit me with five stars and a written review. It is so helpful. It's more helpful than you could imagine. If you don't have an iPhone, have no fear. Spotify is here. Hit me with five stars on Spotify or do both and I'll love you forever. Really appreciate it. Aside from that, if you haven't heard my uh, episode with Sydney Sprague, go check that shit out. It was really one of my favorite talks Uh that I've had in a long time. Before Shane, of course. Duh. Actually, I'm very happy with both of these conversations. But check out Sydney Sprague. It was nice to have a lady on here. And she's about to go on tour supporting Jimmy World and Dashboard Confessional. And she is about to blow up. So make sure to check that one out. She was a lot of fun. All right. Until next time. I love you all. Peace.
destruction. Destruction always supreme.